Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at www.cwcsj.org for service times and directions. First of all, let's talk about our motto. What is the motto of Christian Worship Center? Say it with me nice and loud. To love God, love people, change the world. Let's say that again, once once again. Love God, love people, change the world. Now look at your neighbor or someone around you, tap them and tell them, love God, love people, change the world. That, that's what Christian Worship Center is our motto. It's all about loving God first. You see, I can't love people until I first experience the love of God. I shared with you last week the four terms of love and that without an agape love, a divine love, I don't know how to love someone else. Only divine love gives the ability to forgive offenses. Only divine love has the ability to restore restore offenses that have been done. And so until we know God where agape love comes from, we're never going to really know how to give agape love to other people around us. And so that's why it's so important. But this morning, not only that, what's our purpose? Why does CWC, why are we here freezing on a Sunday morning at Mount Pleasant High School? You know what? This is California, isn't it? Dude, I woke up this morning, 28 degrees. There's something wrong. I moved to California because this is where I I like the sun. I like the warmth. My wife is from Colorado. That's why we don't live in Colorado. It's great. I love Colorado because you can walk into a Walmart and not bump into a bunch of people while you're going through there. You can walk through Target and actually have space and not worry about a bunch of people there. But by living there, you got to live in the cold. I can't do the cold. I can't do the snow. I'm sorry. I, I, I'll, I'll jump out there for a little while, then after that I'm done. What's the purpose of CWC? What, what, what did we, why are we here? Number one, to bring people into their purpose through a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. To bring people to their purpose. Our purpose here is to find out your purpose. We got to find out why, what your purpose is all about. And many people go through their lives and never, even on their deathbed, never know why they even existed. And so we're here to help you find your purpose. And not only find your purpose, but help develop that purpose through a growing relationship with Christ. It's amazing to me how we talk to people and say, well, you know, uh, have you accepted the Lord? They say, yeah, yeah, when I was about eight years old, I accepted the Lord and, and so forth. And they got a foul mouth still. They're like 45 years old. They're cussing at everyone, everything. They're flipping people off. They're drinking. They're, 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 worse. they're going off on people. They, they hate everyone. They're talking and God about everyone. Listen, it's not enough just to have received Christ at one point in your life. You need a progressive, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. I I shared last Sunday that, you know, I love my wife more today than I did yesterday because I know more about her. And love is love is based on knowledge, not on feeling. And I've always said, love is not a feeling, it's a commitment that sometimes produces a feeling. That's where people sometimes fall out of love. I just don't love you anymore. I just don't, I'm just, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Love's not a feeling. Love's a commitment. That's why you get a ring when you get married. It's to remind you that you made a commitment to this individual that got you so ticked off a little while ago. 
It reminds you that there's a commitment. You don't, you don't, you're not married based on how you feel. You're married based on your commitment that you made. And so we bring people into a growing relationship with Christ. And so last week we started with the first culture of Christian Worship Center. But in order to share what a culture is, I want to kind of regress and, and kind of share with you what a culture is, all right? Just kind of backtrack a bit before we get into the second culture of CWC and talk to you about what a culture really is, amen? Let, let, kind of break this down. Michael Pitts gives a teaching on culture, and I kind of want to share a couple of these points with you. First of all, what is a culture? A culture starts with an atmosphere. Everyone say atmosphere. Atmosphere is, is, is developed by when we surrender to the predominant spirit that's in a room. Let, let me explain it this way. Have you ever walked into a room and you weren't in the room, but you can tell when you got there people have been fighting? You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're happy, you're all excited, you walk in the room and you can just feel like, oh, there, there's... You feel the tension. You're like, where'd that come from? You look at that person over here, and they're like this. The other person on the other side of the room, they're not even looking at each other. And when you say hi to them, they don't even say hi. They just go, hmm. You've been there. And you don't even have to have been part of the argument. All you had to do was walk in, and you could feel the prevailing atmosphere. Everyone say atmosphere. You can feel the prevailing spirit that's in that room. And it could be the same thing. You could have had a tough day, walked into a room where people just got done laughing. And you walk in and you look around and you're like, what? <laughs> what, do I got a booger on my nose? What are you guys laughing What are you laughing at? Because you walk in and you can feel, come on somebody, you can feel the prevailing spirit or the atmosphere in the room. And so when you walk into an atmosphere, you come to church, when the presence of God is there, I need you to understand, the Spirit of God is everywhere. The presence of God is everywhere. Wherever you go, the presence of God is everywhere, but He's not manifested everywhere. Because even though the presence of God is everywhere, He is not recognized everywhere. Do you know that the presence of God is at your house just like he is here at church? The difference is he's not recognized. There's a different spirit that we give into at home. But what am I talking about? I want you to grab a hold of this. Whatever the prevailing spirit is that we give into creates an atmosphere. And so when you come to church, even if you don't feel like worshiping, when the atmosphere and everyone is entering to worship, that atmosphere has the ability to draw people that didn't even plan on getting involved. I just came to look in. I ain't, I ain't even trying to get into all your religious stuff. I just came here to check out what y'all doing over here. I, I just came. To, I'm just looking. Don't, don't even look at I ain't even. Don't, hey, don't give me that offering basket. I ain't got nothing to do with that. Don't even let me touch it. Now, I ain't singing no song. I'm not getting involved. But when the presence is so strong and people are worshiping and people are recognizing the atmosphere, all of a sudden, even individuals that had no plan of getting involved in what's going on, all of a sudden, they, they, they start doing this. Yeah. 
stop that. Don't, don't, no, you, you're, not, you're not getting involved here. You're not getting involved. And then all of a sudden, something keeps, keeps on going. All of a sudden, you're like, I want people to know that you're beginning to get a little more acclimated, but then after a while, all of a sudden, you see people at another, where, where they're worshiping, all of a sudden, like, what, what, are, what are they doing? Atmosphere. And when you get around that atmosphere, there's something about that atmosphere that you'll enjoy. That's why there's certain friends you go over their house all the time because you love the atmosphere. Other friends that you stay away from because you don't like the atmosphere. They always bring drama with them. I mean, you can feel it when they walk in. Oh, you're joking around, you're happy. They walk in that, they got that schlep rock, that little cloud that, that covers over them wherever they go. I'm like, oh, shoot. If atmosphere is continued, if atmosphere is maintained, it will create a climate. And if an atmosphere is, is held long enough, it'll create a climate. And that climate, see, when I go on vacation, I choose vacation spots based on climate. I want to go to a place where I'm not going to have to get all bundled up. Now, I, I, I hear people say Alaska is beautiful and taking cruises out there, but wearing a parka on my vacation is not my idea. Just me. I'm just saying. It's not my idea of a vacation. I want to be in a place where I can wear shorts, tank top, and I don't have to worry about wearing a coat. So I choose my vacation spots based on, and my wife, based on climate. Climate's important. Follow me on this, all right? You still with me? Yes. Climate is a predictable pattern. Now, even though we went to the Bahamas recently, we love the climate there, we love the weather, but it rained. But even though we couldn't predict that what the weather was going to be like, we do know that the climate is going to be warm. So even as it's raining, it's still warm outside. And so we're still in shorts, we're still in tank tops, we're enjoying the climate. Follow me? Okay. I want you to recognize something. Try growing a palm tree in Alaska. Why not? Don't they have good soil in Alaska? Don't they have hot days in Alaska? Yeah, they do. Yeah, you ever take a look at it? These guys are running, you know, they're running around tape top. It gets 90 degrees plus. There's some hot days out there. And then there's days where the sun doesn't even go down. So they, they get more sun than even Florida does. What's the problem? Even though it has hot days, there's not enough of them to germinate the seed and to allow that tree to grow. I, and I used to live in Manteca, and, you know, Manteca has some hot days. So, so may, man, there's days that you feel like you're in hell. 
And then in the wintertime, you feel, you, you don't know where you're at because there's fog everywhere and you're going outside. Babe, where are you at? You know, you're, you're, and it gets cold out there as well. The problem is this, is that, you know, I, I, I love banana plants and we had a pool in our house over there and we had a pool in the backyard and I put, wanted to make it look tropical. So during the summertime, these banana plants are growing, the leaves, it looks beautiful. I feel like I'm in Puerto Rico. Oh. And so you, got, you, feel like, you feel like you got all this stuff going. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that. But I want you to rec- recognize that the tree was growing good during the summer, but all of a sudden the winter came in Manteca where it gets cold out there too. And my beautiful leaves of my banana plant, just the cold killed it. And I had one little stick sticking out of the ground. (laughs) Why? Because there's the climate can hold it for a certain period, but it can't handle the tough times. What, what am I telling you? I need you to grab a hold of this real quick. It's like, it's like within many of our lives, we have the climate when we come to church to experience healing, to experience the presence of God. And even when we come in, and you, some churches that you come in, and the power of God moves, the, the, the people are jumping up and down, they're getting slain in the spirit, they're get, demons are getting cast out, and God is moving, and all this stuff. And it's power and you think that it's going to carry over to the next week, but you come in and people walk in like they had never heard of God before. And I'm like, I have to start all over again from the point where last Sunday you were shouting, last Sunday, dominion. You were talking about, I'm free, free at last. And you're talking about God doing something. Now all of a sudden we have to start all over again when you get here the following week. Why? Because we have the climate for that banana tree to grow while you're here. But you keep going back to a climate that can't sustain it. Oh, come on. If you're going to clap, you can clap a whole lot better than that. We don't have a climate at home to sustain these things. Or we have a good service at church and then we have three bad ones. We can't do that. I want the presence of God manifested. You imagine if you came, if I didn't have to encourage you when you got in. Imagine if you walked in ready to worship. Imagine if you came through these doors already fired up about the presence of God. Imagine if you came in here not needing to get resaved, but walk in here already filled with the presence of God. Imagine what kind of service we would have. Oh, pastor, you don't know the kind of week I've been through. Oh, my, my husband took off and did this, and my kids went off and did this. And I tell you what, I, I, he's lucky I didn't run over him with the car. And, you know, I'm I just lucky I made it here this morning. And, you know, those, those stories are cool. But when you've been in Christ for 20 years and the story hasn't changed, there's something wrong with the climate. Climates determine what can grow. The climate determines what's able to grow. Now, if a climate is sustained long enough, it creates a stronghold. Everyone say stronghold. Stronghold. A stronghold can be good or bad. A stronghold is a way of thinking. Have you ever noticed why some families are always, they keep producing successful people? 
I, I walked, a good friend of mine, you, many of you know him, Kevin Warren, vice president of the, the Minnesota Vikings. We've had him here and he's spoken here at the church. Kevin, I, I went to his mother's funeral recently. And he, he's introducing me to his nephews. Oh, pastor, this is my nephew, so he's a lawyer in New York. And this guy, this is a lawyer from here. And then this is my, my cousin, she's a lawyer over here. And then this is my nephew, he's in, he is in law school right now. And then they're talking, they're talking about their times where they were taking their finals and everything. And they said this, say, remember when you were in, in Notre Dame in law school and you were getting ready to take your test the night before and you had to take care of us? You told my mom that you would take care of us and you didn't realize it was coming the night before your test? He said something that really blew me away. He goes, yeah, I remember that. But listen, if I had to wait till the night before for that test. If I had to study for that test the night before, then I don't know the material. I'm like, dang. I work my life in reverse. I'd be like, when's the test? Oh, what time is the test on that day? I'm not like, I'm not like studying the night before. I'm like, if the test is at 11 o'clock, I got to 1059 to get that information in. Why? Because I had a good memory. I had a really good memory. So my, my classmates in college would get mad because I would just look over the material. I'd be working out, playing basketball. My roommate would be studying like crazy. He goes, we got a test coming up. I said, I know. He goes, you got to get ready for it. I said, no, I got this. He goes, no, come on, man. We got to study. We got to make sure we do our, our, okay, we're, we're, we're going to be up. He would go into the test. He goes, man, you're going to fail. You're going to blow it. I would sit down in class and I would look over the material and then we'd sit down and then take the test. And he'd come in and he'd say, man, I nailed it, 96. He goes, what'd you get? I said, I did all right. What'd you get? Hand him my paper, 98. He would get so upset that he had to work so hard to get that number. And I would just, and I think about it at times, how much I wasted. That I was living based on comparison. Success isn't what you, what you accomplish. It's what you accomplished compared to what you could have accomplished. That is true success. See, the Bible says those that compare themselves among themselves are foolish. Anyone hearing me right now? Strongholds develop a way of thinking. It's how I think. It determines how I think about it. Have have you ever been around a family or a group of people that you're like, man, these, these folks are messed up? I mean, I'm serious. I mean, have you seen that they, they, when they argue, they throw pots and pans or even knives? You know, you got family members. You don't want to get mad because they're packing. You see what I'm saying? That there's certain certain groups of people that it, it, it's so volatile at home. Everyone yells at the top of their lungs. Everyone cusses each other out. The kids are cussing out the mom. The mom's cussing out the husband. Husband's cussing out the, the wife. And everyone, everything's volatile. Everyone's going on. And, you know, there's addictions going on in the house. You got all the cars parked on the grass in front of the house and everything. That no one, no one cuts the lawn. They just figure if we drive over it many times, it'll just die out. You don't have to worry about it.
And then that friend, all of a sudden, that little boy who's being raised in this, to him this is normal. He goes to school and he meets a friend and Johnny says, hey, come over to my house. And so he goes over to Johnny's house and when he gets to Johnny's house, the grass is growing. It's like, dude, what's that? It's grass. Wow, that is cool. Goes inside the house and it's clean. Not garbage and a bunch of junk sitting on the front porch. And when he walks in the house, there's a mom in there. And she says, hi, Johnny, who's your friend? Wow, that lady spoke without a cuss word coming out of her mouth. Hey, Johnny, your, your dad's going to be home in a few minutes. Little Other little boys like, we better hide then, dude. We got, we got to hide. We got to, we got to hide out. Dad's on his way home right now. And Johnny's like, no, no, my dad's the greatest. And dad comes driving up and Johnny runs and hugs him. Hey, dad. Dad kisses him on the head and says, who's your friend? And he introduces himself to him. For the first time in this little boy's life, he realized what I thought was normal is abnormal. See, strongholds have, have a way of developing a way of thinking. And that, that stronghold, once we've allowed it to become part of us, and well, the, these things are developed, what ends up happening, that stronghold develops an idea, it develops a philosophy, and those philosophies then become behaviors. That's why thinking is so powerful. Dr. Monroe says this, Dr. Miles Monroe says this. He says, there's nothing more powerful than an idea. But there's nothing more important than the source of that idea. Where, where are you getting your information from? Where, whose idea was this? So I want you to recognize that a stronghold that is sustained long enough becomes a culture. Everyone say culture. culture. Let me explain it to you this way, okay? Joseph, come on up, come on up here, man. Actually, you know, yeah, come on up here, Joseph. Um, T, why don't you step up here? Pastor Ant, why don't you come on up as well? Um, let's see. For first service, uh, a lot of our Tongan families already left this morning. Um, what nationality are you? French. French, okay. Come on up here. I need a brother, too. <laughs> French. Okay. What nationality are you? Okay. What nationality are you? What nationality are you? Okay. I want you to notice something. Every one of these nationalities, and for, for, if I didn't call you up, I'm not hating on you, okay? <laughs> Any other nationalities out there that would like to call out right now? Okay. Follow me. Check this out. Okay? I want you to notice that every nationality... Filipino, I'm surprised Joe didn't say anything. Joe, I'm shocked. You say every, you're like a Facebook stalker when I say anything on Facebook. In church, you don't say nothing. <laughs> Joseph, come on up here. Get the Filipino brother up here. Come on. <laughs> I, want, I want you to notice something. I, want, I just want you to grab a hold of this and... and Every one of these cultures, every culture 
has something a little different about them. That's what's called, a, that's what makes it a culture. And so what happens is this, especially in the, in, the, in the Latin families, Latin families, every Christmas we make tamales. And the joke is, the only reason Mexicans make tamales at Christmas, so we have something to unwrap. You were telling your wife that joke just now too, huh? Hey, white folk aren't allowed to make fun of us like that. You're not even supposed to know that joke. Follow me on this. That's our culture. So you know when you walk in in Christmas, that's what's going to... They take what goes on in Mexico and they bring it here. And so I need you to understand, you drive into a Mexican's house... You drive, it doesn't have to be Christmas or whatever. You drive into it, and I'm, I'm Latin, so for those of you who don't start, and why are you hating on the Latin people? All right? You drive, you're going to have about three or four cars parked in the front lawn, and three of them don't work. <laughs> you're going to have about three generations living in the same house. You know why? Because we don't put, and you might laugh, but we don't put our, our elderly in old folks' homes. We, we take care of our elderly. That, some of y'all are like... <laughs> <we> <laughs> now, I want you to notice something. What they do is that our cultures, you could be in America, but when you walk into the house of one of these ethnicities, it's like walking in to Mexico itself. They bring their culture into their living. Samoan families, Tongan families, they're both Pacific Islanders, but they're both different. And we got a lot of Tongan families that come to the church, and yet I went to a party, and everything that I thought was something that you make was different because they have their own culture. I've never had French, except French fries. Fried chicken? <laughs> Fried chicken, yeah. <laughs> Lumpia, yeah, yeah, I'm down with that. Every group has something that identifies them with. Why? It's called culture. And what we do, culture, doesn't identify who we are. It identifies how we live. So a stronghold becomes a culture. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And we all have a culture. And whether you live, whether, you know, I, although I'm Latin, you don't see tamales in my home. You don't see a bunch of cars parked on my, uh, on my grass. Why? Because that's just not the way I live. And so I, I need you to understand something as we, as we talk about the, these generalities that every one of us has a culture. We have a way that our thinking will determine our living. And so when we entered into the kingdom of God, when you accepted Christ, come on somebody, when you accepted Christ, you became a brand new nationality. You became a Christ Samoan. 
a Christian Mexican, a Christian Filipino. Do you understand? Christ becomes first. And everything is grafted into our walk with God. Now, I need you to grab a hold of this. And what I'm saying is this, is that when your culture, when you accept Christ, all of a sudden, your color of your skin becomes secondary, and that becomes your primary culture. So if culture is bringing where I'm from into where I live, then when we talk about kingdom culture, come on somebody, when we talk about a kingdom culture, we are taking the way things are in heaven and we're bringing them down here to earth. That means what? there's no sickness in heaven. Oh, come on somebody. That means healing is a right in the kingdom. That means that if there's no lack financially in heaven, then there is a blessing that is a right to you if you are part of the kingdom culture. Oh, you're you're not grabbing this. I need you to see something here. That if my marriage is struggling in the kingdom, there's no divorce in heaven. God doesn't divorce us, which means there's always hope because where agape lives, agape is that that divine love that forgives offense and puts things back together. It doesn't rip them apart. Now, if you've had a divorce, I'm not, not putting you down. I'm saying this is that in the kingdom... We take what's going on in heaven and we bring it to this culture on earth. So what is the culture? First culture I shared with you last week was passion. Second culture, the passion of love. Love love passionate about what God's passionate about. Today it's a culture of purpose. Everyone say purpose. Purpose. Come on, say it again, purpose. purpose. You know that people will live all their lives and not have a clue what their purpose is? And our goal at CWC is help you identify your purpose. In fact, on your notes today that were handed out in the middle of your bulletins, it gives you a breakdown of what our purpose is as people and what the church's purpose is as an organization as well. And so I need you to recognize this, that at at CWC, we have to develop a culture of purpose. We don't just get to church. What, What we're doing right now is important. What we're doing right now is vital. And when you miss out, you miss out on being on the same page with the rest of the body. And so I need you to recognize that there is a culture of purpose. And what does purpose produce? Purpose produces function. Purpose will determine your function in life. Follow me on this. Okay? So based on what I want something to do, when I create it, I create it with that function to accomplish its purpose. See, I need you to recognize Jesus had many functions, but only one purpose. He healed. He, he, he walked on water. He calmed storms. He fed people. He did all these things, but his main purpose was to come and die, to offer his life as a sacrifice. And so he operated in many functions, but he only served one purpose. See, purpose will determine your function, which necessitates design. See, God wanted a bird to fly, so what did he give him? Exactly. God wanted a fish to swim, so he gave him an ability to breathe under water. So based on your purpose determines your design. God created you to dominate. That means you have been designed. Come on, somebody. You have been designed to dominate. It's in you. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to to, to work at it. It's in you. 
You have been designed, you have been functioned to do these things. And so I need you to recognize God functioned you, put you together to make this happen. Jesus' purpose produced his function. And see, the word of God says in John 3, 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why did he come? He came in order to save the world. And so what was his function? God gave him the function to bring that about. Secondly, it determines your path. You see, if you don't know your purpose, when, when choices come up in life and, and whys in the road come up in your life, you're going to end up making wrong choices. But when you know what your purpose is, if I'm trying to get from here to Disneyland, on the way to Disneyland, I, I might stop at different places, but I'm not going to stay there. there. There's a lot of other roads that go off to different places as you're going down I-5. But if I know where my destination is, Although those roads might be tempting because they're closer, it's not going to get me to my destined point. Come on, follow me, somebody. And so I need you to recognize that purpose produces design, but design produces potential. And so when you have a purpose, it gives you a vision. Jesus said this on John chapter 12, verse 27. He says, right now I'm storm-tossed. Man, I'm battling right now. He's on the way to the cross. He's like, I'm storm-tossed right now. I don't know what to do. Have you ever been deep-sea fishing before? Anyone? You ever been in the waves? Have you ever been to Half Moon Bay? I paid to go deep-sea fishing. All I did was feed the fish. That's all I did the whole time. All you see was land, and then all you see is water. All you see is land, and then all you see is water. It was, it was terrible. I'll, I'll, I'll never do it again. Never. Uh-uh. I, I try, and I tried those, those little pills, emotion pit, uh, sickness pills, and when I was heaving, I saw the little pink pills come out. <laughs> I'm serious. I was like, oh, that, that didn't help. <laughs> I don't know why I told you that. Right now, I'm storm-tossed. What am I going to say? Father, get this out or or get me out of this? No. This is the reason I came in the first place. I say, Father, put your glory on display. When you have a purpose, your, your path is already determined. And so when these options come out in life, you see, I don't have to worry about having an affair because I already made a commitment. When I put this ring on to my wife, I made the choice almost 23 years ago that she's the one that I love. She's the one I want to be with. I want to hang with her. I want to be with her. And so when options come up along the way, and there's been many, and when the options have come up, (laughs) Hey, I'm in church. I'm being honest. I didn't even, I didn't consider turning off. Why? Because I had already determined my path. Listen, when, unless you make a choice now, unless you know where you're going now, when these options come up in life, and see, young ladies, until you know why God created you and the purpose that he placed on your life, and there's a prince waiting for you at the end of the road, stop kissing all the frogs. Your purpose is what drives you. 
You deserve better. You hear me? You deserve better. Not looking at you, Anthony, okay? <laughs> Not looking at you. <laughs> Samantha's like, what? <laughs> and you're like, I need you to understand this, okay? <laughs> oh, Lord. As we close, purpose releases potential. Worship team, if you would help me. Purpose also releases your potential, what's in you. I need you to recognize that purpose determines the demand that can be placed on your life. You know, I, I have a hammer and, and I have nails. And the hammer can't get mad that I always use it to pound stuff. Because that's its purpose. And the nail can't get mad that it never gets to be seen because it's always stuck in the wall, hiding behind something. How come no one walks in and says, wow, great nail? (laughs) Nail serves a purpose. It's to hold up glory. It's to hold up and let something shine. And when you know your purpose, people have the right to place a demand on your life. And I need you to recognize every one of us was created with a purpose. And some of you are wondering why you're at work and you're you're, you're just hanging out there. And all of a sudden someone comes up and says, man, I'm I'm really, really going through it today. Like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm just really, really struggling. Okay, yeah. What do you think? uh, Hold on, I, I, I got a call. And there's no one on the phone. Like, hopefully they'll leave in a second. And they're, I'll call you later. It's important. They leave. And what do you do? Get back to it and someone else comes in. You know, me and my husband have been going through some stuff recently. And you're like, do I have counselor written on my forehead here? Rennie and Kathy, you have so many people coming to you with marital issues. Why? It's your purpose. You were designed for it. And many of you are getting frustrated. Why do these people keep coming over to me? It's because they recognize your purpose. You can't, the hammer can't get mad because it keeps getting picked up to pound nails. They recognize the design. They recognize the ability. They recognize the function. And so every time they come to you, people know your function before you do. And they keep coming. They see the light in you. They see your marriage. And how do you guys make it work? How do you guys make things happen? What is it? And that's why they always seek you out. And you're wondering, why are people always asking me financial advice? Because they think you have your finances together. Purpose determines demand. Why is it so important that you find your purpose? Because this pastor, this craftsman, needs to know what tools we have in our toolbox here at CWC. And we need to know what to put to work. I love Pop. Pop is one of the most important people at Christian Worship Center. But you, 
Amen. Amen. Go ahead and clap. But when he first came to the church, he was an usher, and when he was ushering, I told him one time, I'm going to have you pray for offering. He's like, you do, and I'm out of here. He goes, I won't say a word. I'll just turn around and I'll walk out. Don't make me talk in front of people. He doesn't say a word in church, but this church could not function without him. Purpose. And every one of you, God creates everything on purpose. Everything has a function. In fact, when Jesus found himself showing up late, has God ever shown up late for you? Come on, be honest. In church, oh yeah. When God shows up late, it's because he's getting ready to reveal a part of his character you and I haven't known yet. Mary and Martha are waiting for Jesus to come because Lazarus is sick. And instead of going immediately, Jesus waits two extra days. And he looks at the disciples and says, I'm glad for your sakes that I'm not there. See, Jesus was going to do something to the disciples. This had nothing to do with Lazarus. They finally get there and the family's ticked. He's the son of God, but they're still upset at him. Well, if you had been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. You know how we church people take shots? We make it sound like a prayer request, but at the same time, we're taking that shot. You know, I was sick last week, Pastor, but you didn't call, but I'm okay now. <laughs> you know, we were really going through some financial trouble. I called the church, and you guys didn't answer the phone. And, oh, but we made it through. We're okay now. Jesus shows up and they're going off on him. And he says, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. And she responds, says, you know, I, I know that my brother will rise again in the last days. He says, girl, <laughs> you're getting it twisted. You're looking for an event when the person is here. I am the resurrection and the life. That's not who, it's not what I do, it's who I am. Why? What was Jesus' purpose? To die and to raise. So if his purpose was to die and to raise, God had to place in him resurrection and life. Are you following me? I'm closing, but stay with me. He had to place in him resurrection and life. That's why every time Jesus showed up at a funeral, he raised the dead person. Even when a funeral was just walking by him. What happened? Woman's son died. Stop. Come on out, son. What? It was in him. Resurrection and life was in him. Then he tells Mary, show me where you laid him. Then he said, roll the stone away. We can't. He's stinking. I'm here to tell you something this morning. There are things that are holding us back from hearing God. There are things that are hiding our funk. 
things that are hiding our stench from God. And Jesus says, before I can call you out of the grave, I got to get rid of the thing that's holding you back. He calls out to Lazarus, says, Lazarus, come forth. Many say that the reason he said Lazarus is because if he had just said come forth, he was in a graveyard, all the dead people would have got up and walked out. But it ended up with Michael Jackson Thriller. All these dead people coming out. He had been dead four days. Jews believed after the third day you couldn't be raised again. Why? Because of decay. And after the body begins to decay, there's no hope for, for resurrection. So the maggots are already beginning to eat at his body. The, the decompose, de decomposition is already set in. And Jesus steps up and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And immediately, every one of those maggots, according to E.V. Hill, every one of them that took a bite out of his body had to regurgitate it, give it back to his body and restore everything that was taken from him. I'm here to tell you, when God calls you out of the grave, He gives back to you everything the enemy has taken away from your life. Everything is given back. Everything. Lazarus didn't come out in a wheelchair. He came out whole. He didn't come out with crutches. He came out whole. He wasn't missing his left ear because of decomposition came out whole. The problem is when he called them out, they wait a little while and they don't see anything, but they could hear something. It's this little sound. As they look toward the front of the opening of the tomb, they see Lazarus make his way out he's alive but the brother's wrapped up many of us have been called out of the grave and you got a pulse but you're, you're still wrapped up with the things of the grave still tied up Still tied up with the secular music, still tied up with the lust, still tied up with the unforgiveness, still tied up with a certain way. And you know what? You're functioning. I'm alive. Yeah. Line dancing at. You, 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 you look, you're going on. It might take you a little longer, but you can get there. And you think that's normal. Jesus sees Lazarus and commands, you know what? Loose the man. Let him go. And I declare over every one of your lives, it's not enough just to come out of the grave. I prophesy over your life, over your family, over your job, over your career, over your marriage. I remove the grave clothes off of your family, off of your mindset. That depression, we break it. That addiction, we take it off your life. We remove those things right now in Jesus' name. Come on, stand to your feet right now. Let's worship. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at www.cwcsj.org.